0: This week, throwing a little shade on the world of ghost fakery. Then, how a beloved Toronto historic figure returned to the news media in the 1960s. Just a quick note before we begin. I'm doing another adjustment to the show. I know I don't do this very often, but my goal for this has always been to get out to a lot of people, and I find that I think I've kind of uh, centered in. There's a beacon coming from my, my, my listeners. You guys have sent me your, your mental, psychic beacon of light in, into my brain, straight into my brain, and it has said that we want this. So I'm going to say you may agree or disagree, but I found that um, the best shows, the most listened to shows that I do tend to focus around a southern Ontario ghost story. You know, uh, the the region we function in, of course, makes sense. Hamilton and Niagara. People seem to love Toronto stories as well. And on a lesser, you know, more north of Toronto, but there's a lot of great ghost stories up there, too. So I decide I'm going to focus in on that. So the format of the show moving forward, starting right now, the first segment is going to be a general ghost subject, or what I called in the past a strange news related to the paranormal. And then the second segment is going to be all about those Canadian ghosts, eh? The Southern Ontario ghost stories that I personally love so much and hopefully... You guys love too, and we'll see where that takes us. So, the first segment centering around a general subject that I wanted to talk about, and it has to do with what is considered the most famous podcast in the entire world. And what I am talking about is the show by uh, Joe Rogan. I'm sure you've heard of it, The Joe Rogan Experience. I'm a fan. I enjoy it. I, I love hearing the stories, viewpoints of many different people around the world. And it was that, to my absolute joy and surprise when I saw the—I I didn't recognize them. I'll say this: I guess I'm, I'm, I'm of a different generation. That is a nice way of saying that I'm an old fella. And when when I saw like the names Sam and Colby, I'm like, who are these? Who are these guys? And then I read the description. I'm like, oh, my goodness, they are paranormal investigators. And I knew, I knew from listening to the show in the past that Joe was a believer in ghosts. He has some of the experience that he's heard about, he, he used to be very closely involved with the comedy store in Los Angeles. A ton of history in that building going right back to the mob of the day, and he would talk about some of the experiences that you know happened to fellow comedians whom he trusted and believed inside there. So, I guess it turns out that his his daughter, uh, younger daughter, who watches um, these two guys, Sam and Colby, on YouTube, uh, they are paranormal investigators. Younger fellows, I believe they're in their mid twenties, and they go out to haunted locations and they do investigations. I probably should have been a better podcast host and watched one or two of their videos, but it really doesn't relate to what I wanted to talk about. So I just wanted to kind of, you know, stick on that. I'll definitely watch and maybe follow up in the future. But I listened about an hour into the show, and I mean, they seem like interesting guys. You know, the young investigators going out to locations looking for ghosts, and I mean, on on the surface, it seems like something that is legit. And from my experiences with uh, this is YouTube now, but with TV shows in the past that related to ghost stories, I always had took them with a grain of salt. We've talked about it many times on the show before. It's this idea that the ghosts are not like performers. They're not going to perform on camera when the cameras are running. But if you don't have ghostly content that's going to scare people in these investigative scenarios, this doesn't count for like the, the ghost shows that have the ghost stories. But in the investigative scenarios, if you don't have stuff happening, the show's going to get canceled. This is the unfortunate truth of anything on television you need the biggest audience possible for it to succeed so the only way that's going to curse is i'm tuning in for a ghost show i want to see something ghostly occur now the yeah, the ghost story shows the ones that focus in on people tell their experiences and then they show the uh, dramatizations with paid actors of what occurred that's a different story because that's, you know, story that happened to the person at a random interval. It wasn't in that stretch of time where something's going to appear on camera. But this is not the case with these YouTube uh, investigators like, like Sam and Colby. Again, they seem like very nice guys. And the way they talked about it, I did get this feeling that there was a realism in, into what they felt. That they were fascinated by the idea of ghosts and I'm I'm all for that. You know, I am all for these guys succeeding because the more people that, you know, talk about ghosts, that really enjoy true, real ghost stories, the better. But then that's not the whole story. There's a reason why I kind of my my uh BS detectors came up to this and I'm not gonna call this a rant because I have nothing at these guys I don't know for sure that they're faking anything but I'm just gonna give my opinion on this so my BS detectors went off when uh, they told a story I believe they were on the the uh, the boat the Queen Mary is it in California one of the most haunted locations talked about worldwide in top ten, top twenty lists. I've definitely heard about this, so it's it's quite famous. But they were doing an investigation on the the, the Queen Mary, and they told this experience about how nothing was happening for them, and I forget how it was a when they were gonna leave, something finally ha- oh the tap yeah the the water tap turned on. So they're freaked out, and the first thing that he said that kind of threw me off, he said that a guy in his group started crying, and I don't know, I don't know. I was like, you tell me, if you were in that type of experience where a water tap turned on by, would it actually bring you to tears? Would, would you, so I, I kind of like was a little bit stepping back, maybe because I've been det- desensitized to this stuff over the years, not so much for me, but for, for I mean, for others, it's like, Maybe that's the case. So anyway, they said that they came back into the room because something finally occurred. And I forget how they got to this conclusion, but thinking that maybe the spirit, the energy, didn't want to be filmed. So that's when they turned their cameras off and then continued on. Now you may think, oh, the story must end here, right? If they turned the cameras off, nothing was recorded, that's the end. This is not the case. They got an audio recording. So the story states that one of the people in the group unbeknownst to them turned on their their sound recorder on their phone or whatever and took an audio recording of what was going on so they ended up communicating that's what they they communicated with the spirit through knocking so it'd be like you know spirit are you here it was like knock once or twice for no and three times for yes or whatever it was maybe like, spirit are you here one two three and that's how the communication went. So they have this audio of the situation, but, but no video. So it got me thinking. You know, the story is interesting, and it's very possibly true. But it seems strange that they came to the conclusion of turning the cameras off. And then supposedly after the camera's off, this amazing thing occurs. And then I wasn't too sure about that. And then it's very easy to fake knocking when, 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 when you're like, there's no, there's no video, like you can't see somebody's arm moving or, you know, somebody off camera, he was like, where'd that person go? And then you might question it. If it's audio only, you could just be banging on the wall and nobody would be the wiser. So that got me thinking. Now, one of the main reasons too, that I was a little taken back by these guys is the fact of their history. And if people could say, okay, they, they might have changed over the years. And I, I, you know what? That's very possible. And again, I am I'm only stating my opinion on this. I'm not, you know, throwing down the gauntlet and saying that this is 100% the truth. I'm just saying from the sense that their original thing is they're trying to make a name for themselves on YouTube and it seems like uh, one of the only ways back then now now thankfully it's getting shot down and i hope it continues to get shot down is being a prankster and i think that's it's ridiculous it's so ridiculous to cause this much disturbance in other people's lives damage in people's place of business or wherever the prank in their home wherever it's occurring i'm talking about the real pranks not the fake ones that they put out there that aren't like everything's all set up and it still gets views but the real ones where they go into somebody's place of business and cause that is just it's it's disgraceful it, it's just a straight out I, you know it's just very disgraceful behavior and that's how these two guys started out so when I, I i think i heard that story first and then i heard their origin of starting out as pranksters on youtube and there was a story i guess they um were in a mall and they they took a a couch or a chair and threw it on an escalator and were riding it up and down and like yeah that's funny on camera but i mean you damage the escalator you damage the couch and they know nothing nothing good comes from that so when you when you see somebody with a history like that and then turning out, and then going in—you know—trespassing in locations that they shouldn't. be it had nothing to do with the paranormal, or the love of history. It was just to go into these places and trespass, you know, for the clicks. Then I question it even more. So I don't. I, I again, they could have changed over the years, but I'm not sure. So you're starting out as pranksters. It, it tells me this type of mindset where you don't care about others and that you have a focus and your focus is getting clicks so i'm not i'm not for that and uh, as a uh paranormal originalist is that a word Uh, you know whereas like you know you just you go back to that initial ghost story and sure i mean some ghost stories that i've heard from people it's very possible they're not true it's very possible that, you know, over the years they've been changed. You know, the the the, the thing that people do is over years, you know, you, it, it changes in your mind. You might add details that didn't. This is something that I accept when it comes to ghost stories. I do like to believe that there's always that grain at the very beginning. And if I do trust the source where the story is coming from, then I can, I can say, okay, there's something that occurred there that might have been aggrandized after the fact but in that moment something did happen to that person you take it with a grain of salt but still it's an interesting story but when you get folks who are only in it for attention for clicks which leads the monetization and money from youtube and then I, I take a step back on that i mean there's i mean there's just think about it i mean there's there's things i could do as a ghost storyteller, to think, to blow things up, to make them more than they are, to put, you know, titles on stuff that, you know, isn't fully true on the thing that I'm talking about with it, you know, the old uh, clickbait. I could do that, but I don't, because if I were to do that, yes, I might get some folks coming in for the entertainment value, but in the end, they're not going to trust me. As much moving forward down, the more that I'm tricking them into these things, eventually, if it ever comes out, then I would be a complete fraud, wouldn't I? And that's not what I'm looking for in this. Because when it comes down to it, this fakery that happens, and again, this isn't directed towards anybody specifically, just an overall group of folks who just, you know, they don't care. They don't mind faking it for the attention. But it's not going to be good Moving forward, it's a it's a damage to my initial goal. Like the thing I want is to prove ghosts are real. To try and get the folks who you know immediately say no, there's no such thing as ghosts. That's ridiculous. And I ask why, and they're like, it's science. And I want to get those folks to you know question. They don't have to believe, but they can question. Is like I've never had an experience in my life, but I, I think it's possible. Is what i want them to say i've had experiences personally but other people i want them to say okay it's possible and that's my goal and you might be thinking oh why the hell is that your goal man why do you want to do that because there's a value to believing in ghosts i mean just the two that come to the top of my head is first off in the sense that you can bring a scientific mind who wants concrete material evidence for everything over to the spiritual world i mean there's so much power in that because the power behind spiritual healing uh the the power to focus on things other than a disturbed material world around us that's balance in in life so that's the first thing you bring somebody over to the spiritual because if you prove to them that ghosts could be possible then there's more to life than what's, you know, directly in front of us or what we can touch. And the second thing is this, this is one where I think I'm in the minority on is having folks have a better relationship with death, you know, cutting the fear down a bit. And I know that's a little bit uh, antithetical to ghosts themselves because the idea is like you tell a ghost story, you want people to be scared. And one of the main reasons that people are scared is because of a human fear of death and but if you cut down that fear then people won't be as scared as much i see it from a different point of view i see it in the sense that okay it's okay to not be afraid of death but it doesn't make it any less interesting and it doesn't make it any less freaky in the moment when you're having one of those experience with somebody who's most likely dead and that's that's the the best part of it in my don't fear death because that can be an unhealthy way to look at life but instead have a better relationship with it but you know that fascination doesn't go away because you know you don't know what's going to happen on the other side of that it's very much unknown and for that reason I, I you know when I hear a great ghost story I can feel it in a different manner because it's not so much I'm scared that something might happen to me in the future in fact I invite it and if it does happen well it's just you know continues to add that proof that the pile that there is something else other than what's materially in front of us so anyway i'm gonna highly recommend you guys go listen to that show joe rogan experience podcast i forget the number of it but just look for sam and colby it was over the last uh it was in the in the month of january year 2023 and uh you know you tell me what you think do you think that they're the real deal? Have you watched their videos? I'd be happy to hear from you. And now for the second segment. No, I'm, I'm not going to do that every single time. Don't worry. I just i am very excited. I'm very excited about the new format of the show. So I was looking out and deciding what I wanted to talk about for the ghost portion. And I realized, okay, the city of Toronto, you know, it's it's... Stupid with ghost stories. I mean so many so many ghost stories so many haunted locations uh beautiful city tons of history and I was thinking okay well this is places that I'm familiar with in Toronto. I'm very familiar with the city and its haunted spots been to many of them but the one of the ones that I was never inside of that has always kind of fascinated me is the Scadding House now, the Scatting House, you might be thinking, what what is that, Daniel? I've never heard of it. It's hidden. And the reason it's hidden is because at one time, the Eaton Center kind of just ate up. Get it? Eaton? Eat anyway, ate up that entire area with its modernism. And you got to understand where the Eaton Center is located. It's kind of the center of Toronto. It's near Young dundas Square. Which is like their Times Square. So there's a ton of history around there historic buildings, historic houses. Uh, the first concert hall in Canadian history, Massey Hall, is there. Uh, Old City Hall, that beautiful, beautiful structure with the clock tower, is there. Uh, the McKenzie House, the Elgin and Winter Garden Theater. It's just tons. You know, other places not too, like the Hockey Hall of Fame is not too far away. It's a great center to it, And when they had this Eden Center come in, I don't know if you know this, at one point the Eden Center was even going to take over Old City Hall. And I don't know if they they were planning to demolish it or something, but that would have sucked. Thank God that they didn't allow that. The history lovers came in and, and said, no, no thank you. I think that was in the 1960s. But the Eden Center comes in, it takes over, and it starts to build. So it's surrounded some of these more historic areas. And one of the areas that it's surrounded is Holy Trinity Church. And beside it is the Scatting House. So if you want to know, like, location-wise, if you guys know where Old City Hall is, there's a side street. If you're looking at the front of the building, it's to the right and if you go to the very end of that street it turns in a pathway that leads into the side door of the eden center and there's this old house on the left right before you walk into the eden center that's the scatting house so it's very historic it's connected to holy trinity church i think i'm not i'm not fully sure i think they were both built around the same time because it served as the rectory for the church so the, the priests who served in the church over the years, this is the house that they lived in. Eventually it changed, I think, in the early to mid-1900s. They then sold it off, and it was turned into apartments. And today, I think there was a shop on the first floor at one time, and today I'm not even sure what they use it for. I'm not even sure if people are in there. It kind of looks abandoned. It's kept up, but it kind of looks abandoned. So anyway, one of the original fellows who pushed Trinity Church, uh, one of the original priests for it, was a guy named Henry Scadding. Uh, So this was his house in the mid-1800s. So he was the priest for the church. Uh, Holy Trinity Church was founded for the city's poor as that area which is now, like, you know, super luxurious and and whatnot, Uh, used to be where the city's poor was located. And this church was dedicated to them. So it would take in charity, help them out. It would allow them to come into church and it would never ask for money. So this is like the church never asked for collections. It just come and worship, come and, you know, try and find yourself. And that was the end of the story. So it was a wonderful place. And Scatting was a wonderful person so he was a uh, the, the priest he was a his other claim to fame was he was a local history writer in the city of toronto and he did have one very well known locally book it was called toronto of old uh, go ahead and look that up i don't think it's in print anymore but you might be able to get an old copy if you want to but just take as a side note that he wasn't considered the best historian because it said that a lot of the information he put in Toronto of old was incorrect or mistaken or improperly reported. But it really didn't matter because people still loved him anyway. So Henry Scadding was just locally loved. Now he lived in that house for many years and he died in the house in the year 1901. So fast forward, the area is taking a downward slide. And we get to the 1960s, and this area is one of the worst in the entire city of Toronto. But there's one woman who wasn't scared of this. Her name is Mary Dixon. She moves in because the house had been turned into apartments at this point. She then picks the top floor apartment. I guess it's got the best view or whatever. And she moves in. So 1960s, Mary Dixon living inside of this house, not the best of areas. And Mary Dixon is well-known. She was an advocate in the city, and she pushed for a lot of things to improve the life of women and mothers. And famously, she's known as the woman who brought daycare to local schools in the city so that, you know, I guess the, the teachers and I don't know if you have teenage parents as possible that they could bring their kids in and not have to worry about them. Or daycares, maybe it's like the parents who couldn't afford the fancy daycares this is a good way to kind of combine that, just have it in the schools, and it would help them out too. So when a woman like this, locally famous, amazing person, kind of like Henry Scadding himself, when she starts talking about Henry Scadding's ghost, needless to say, people are going to listen to her. So she tells him a story. It's just this uh, very simple story that uh, she's quoted as saying that she knew he was there, but she never saw him. She felt his presence inside the space, like somebody was standing behind her uh, when she walked around the place and or she was like in a room by herself and then it felt like somebody walks into the room. And she said that she felt it most. When she was sitting at her desk, looking out the front window, so she has this desk. I guess she, you know, probably wrote articles, probably wrote letters to people to try and change the world. And she's sitting at this desk, looking out the window. Well, she didn't know is that you know this is something similar that Henry would do. So the feeling of being watched, the feeling of having this energy around you—it's palpable. I felt this many times in my own experience. Uh, One most recent from last year was at the Hermitage Ruins in Ancaster. We do the tours there. And after it was done, I don't know, it was was nothing weird. It wasn't like Halloween or full moon or anything. But at the end of the night, I felt very uncomfortable being in that space. And I felt like I was being watched because I'm the one who usually closes down by myself at the end of the night. And it felt like there was other people there watching me. So and I don't usually feel that when I'm there. I was kind of freaked out in that experience. I felt it before at the hermitage. I felt it at other places. So it's not just like a person is watching you, but there is a level of dread and anxiety that comes along with it because ghostly energy has been stirred up. That's what I felt. Now, I don't know if hers had dread and anxiety. She seemed to be comfortable with it. She was just sharing this experience with other people. And I guess one of the questions that you must ask in this this moment is, well, why would she feel it? I mean, in general, in the apartment makes sense, but why did she feel it most when sitting at the desk? And this is the part where you can go to the history and it makes complete sense because that was Henry's favorite spot too. So here's a guy who's like a local uh, quote-unquote historian who wrote books inside of that house who lived and died inside of that house that was his you know obvious favorite place to be and it just so happens he had the desk staring out that front window in the same spot because that was the most amazing spot to have your desk so she was kind of following in his footsteps so that connection to the energy of the space makes complete sense to me that this is where uh, henry's spirit inside the house would feel most connected to this woman if she's sitting at the desk in the exact same spot writing stuff down. That's to show everyone. I hope you enjoy this, the new format. Again, there's a very easy way to support me here, get my uh, podcast out to the world. Just, you know, leave a review however you listen. Doesn't matter. Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever. Uh, Just let me know what you think. I appreciate every single one of you. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next week.